Welcome to episode 129 of the Steptoe Cyber Law Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're lawyers talking about technology, security, privacy, and government. Uh, um, we are going to separate the news roundup today uh, uh, from uh, our weekly interview, which will occur tomorrow. Uh, we'll be interviewing Ciaran Martin, who is the CEO of the UK's new National Cyber Security Center. I'm joined today, I'm pleased to say, uh, by our regular Alan Cohn, formerly head of strategy for DHS and number two in the policy department uh, and of counsel de Stepto. And uh, for those of you who've been following, as I have very remotely and uh, uh, in a veil of ignorance, uh, the Apple-European Union fight over the Irish tax exemptions and uh, agreements that they reached. Uh, we have an expert, Phil West, who happens to be also the chairman of Steptoe and Johnson, uh, and the former senior international, the senior international tax official in the Clinton administration, and now one of the premier international tax lawyers in the country, uh, who's going to explain the, uh, the Apple case to us, uh, uh, so even non-tax lawyers can understand it. So welcome, we'll, Phil. We'll give that a shot. <laughs> and I am Stuart Baker, formerly with the NSA and DHS, and holding the record for returning to Steptoe to practice law more times than any other lawyer. Let's let's jump right in. Um, a, the OPM, the report on the OPM hack has come out of the House Oversight Committee, Alan. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, I took a look at it. Did you read it, too? Yes. Uh, what did you think? <laughs> Um, it, you know, on the one hand, it is a, just a laundry list of the types of, uh, neglect that IT security suffered from for, for years within the federal government. Yeah, it was like the last thing funded. Uh, you, you can, you can see them talking about how they are, you know, uh, very low in terms of percentage of, uh, budget spent on security and, and their IG was complaining for 10 years before anything went wrong. The tragic thing is that it reminds me in some ways of the, the Hurricane Katrina report or other reports where, you know, this is a story that could repeat itself with respect to any number of federal agencies, and lots of people know it. Um, and it's, it is an endemic problem that sits heavily on the shoulders of the Homeland Security Department, of OMB, and of, you know, a small number of officials tasked across the executive branch with trying to corral and fix this kind of endemic problem across agencies. It, it's, it's, it, yeah, it, it's, Desperate and clearly people aren't doing enough and they weren't doing enough. I mean, I, they, OPM had a reputation for saying, yes, yeah, screw you. Uh, we'll do what we want. Uh, and we don't want to spend money on this because we're trying to hold our prices down. Uh, and I mean, and you know, there are, there's the one storyline which goes to the, the IT architecture and the information security activities, which, you know, we've just talked about. There's another line, though, which has to do with the, the, the concept of the crown jewels. And what is the protected information? And so I don't think they believed that those files were crown jewels. And this is the thing. And, and I remember this from when I was in government. We had this exact argument with people who should have known better about whether SF-86s should be protected Let me guess. as if they Let me were. Guess. They, they, they said, well, they're not classified. If you wanted them protected, you should classify them. Exactly. So, exactly. <laughs> and so the question is, so now we know 
that SF-86s fall in that category of information that is not classified, but that should be treated like a crown jewel. The question is, what else is out there? Because that's such a key piece of this. We've we've got a great report, a great set of recommendations as to what to do to close this barn door now that these horses have left. But there's a lot of other pieces of information scattered all over the federal government that that same argument's being made today. It's not classified. Our job is take your pick. In this instance, it's personal management, not IC security. It's the same argument in, in any, in all of these other settings. What are those other pieces of information I that are sitting a out great there? Great question. I didn't think that the committee dug into that. I, I thought the recommendation, it's a, it's a great story. Uh, there's, there's some really interesting stuff in it. The committee's recommendations were, um, pretty white bread. I think that's right. I think that that for that was one issue that that didn't get the attention that it that it really needed. Uh, my own kind of pet issue about how the federal government goes about uh, acquiring cyber tools got a mention, but I think it, it's subject to you know a whole reexamination of its own about the entire acquisition process, the entire way that the federal government gets in its own way. Uh, about purchasing oh, yeah. tools. I, I, there's, there's this company called SciTech in this, they, <laughs> and they, they show up, they, they want to do a, a, a sales pitch. Um, it turns out that the OPM knows they have a problem, and they say, well, why don't we install some of your stuff on some of, some randomly selected servers, which, which of course they knew had problems, and the guys find a problem, and they immediately kind of rush in and say, whatever it needs to be done, you've got to solve this right now. They, they work their butts off for, for weeks, and, they don't have a contract, and the oversight committee says, huh, well, that looks like an anti-deficiency act violation. They never get a contract, partly because of the leaks that put the OPM in a bad light, and the, the, the SciTech takes the blame for that. But what a what a terrible experience that was. And strangely enough, I actually thought that was a good thing. I was surprised OPM actually let them in and let them yeah. play. Yeah. Thank goodness. I mean, that that's another thing that should be going on all around the federal government right now, sandboxes where different firms come in, uh, and play with data, improve their solutions, um, and there are vehicles that allow agencies or the federal government as a whole. I I, I feel I feel the weight that's being placed onto uh, onto uh, Greg Tuhill, yeah. uh, General Tuhill's shoulders <laughs> oh, now being selected as the new uh, federal uh, chief information security officer. But this is one of the key challenges: is there are so many tools, each offering different features. How do you get them in? How do you evaluate them? If they work, how do you actually add them to your security stack? Once they stop working, how do you get them out? Oh, yeah. How do you bring the next thing in? Oh, absolutely. I I, I completely agree. So other bits of color. Anybody who is a CISO probably should read this uh, just to get a feel for, you know, basically these guys knew they had a problem. They did a big bang. They were so proud of themselves. They busted their hump over a three-day weekend at, at the same – kicked out one bunch of – Chinese actors, and meanwhile, a second set was just burrowing away. I uh, I was struck by the uh, the almost American um, sense of humor that the Chinese hackers showed. The 
exfiltration uh, uh, sites that they uh, registered just before they started exfiltrating data. They uh, registered the name of Tony Stark and uh, whoever Captain America's alter ego is. Uh, uh, that's kind of, that's in your face. Uh, um, and a last, uh, last piece of advice for the oversight committee. Never publish your reports only in PDF in a format that cannot be translated into things like Kindle. I mean, what? How sad is that? It, it, it was like a fixed format. I had to had to get out some big old machine just to read it because uh, I'm not going to sit in front of my screen and read it for six hours or whatever it takes. Anyway, there you go. Uh, yet, yet again, there's the Stuart Baker readability test for exactly. congressional reports. So All right. Well, let's let's, let's 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 move on to uh, uh, Ireland. Apple and the European Union. There's billions at stake, uh, and um, they estimate now 21 billion geez. U.S. with interest if this stands. So, what was the deal that uh, Apple had, and how does the EU uh, come to overturn it? Well, let me put this in a little context. So, um, there has been uh, as the Tax aficionados know a lot of attention over many years to corporate tax planning. Mm -hmm. And the fundamental issue is that um, corporations, which have an obligation to their shareholders to reduce their tax bills, uh, take advantage of opportunities to do so. Um, and there's a fundamental question that floats around about whether if you comply with every country's laws but end up with a lower rate of tax than you would had every dollar of your income been taxed, you've done something wrong. Oh, well, right. And the catchphrase for that is cross-border tax arbitrage. And uh, a lot of Companies, uh, virtually every multinational engages in it to one extent or another. You want to have the income in the state that has the lowest tax rate, basically, right? Exactly, exactly. And uh, if you can structure your affairs to minimize your tax uh, in a way that eliminates the income from any country, uh, you ought to do that too, uh, according to this view of the world, and uh, there's nothing illegal about doing that, right. uh, at least until the EU started looking at these tax measures under standards that are actually not tax standards. These are the they're, – they're subsidies rule. They're basically saying Ireland gave a subsidy to Apple by agreeing to the, uh, the taxation rules that they agreed to. Exactly. But there are a couple of problems with that. Uh, one problem is that they've come up with this theory uh, and they've articulated a new standard and it's not a tax standard and there's very little guidance in the – uh, what's been issued so far about how this standard should be applied or will be applied. In oh, the I, I can tell you. I, it will be applied to screw every American uh, are, company, are you especially in the tech me, sector. <laughs> is this going to be result-oriented, Stuart? Is <laughs> totally. that what you're suggesting? <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm shocked that you would even suggest that. You know, the, in fairness, um, Apple is not the first company to come under scrutiny. There are active investigations. In fact, there's a final decision of the commission against Starbucks already. Mm -hmm. Uh, and um, its operations in the Netherlands and whether the Netherlands gave Starbucks uh, too favorable a ruling. There are active investigations uh, involving Amazon 
and mm-hmm. involving Fiat Chrysler. So it's not only the tech community, right. uh, but there's certainly a lot of attention on the tech community, in part because uh, it's a new area, and whenever you apply old rules to new areas, uh, you know, people sort of are trying to figure out what the right rules are, and the commission saw uh, some pretty effective tax planning, and they said, um, we got to look into that more seriously. But again, the problems are that they've come up with a new theory and they're effectively applying it retroactively to collect taxes for periods when no one knew what the standard was, no one knew that the commission was going to articulate this view, no one knew how they would have to comply. And in fact, the irony is that the commission hasn't questioned Ireland's tax laws and they don't. I'm not sure they have jurisdictions to. to, to well, this, sub, this whole subsidiarity question about the relationship between EU law and national country law is one that I can't confess to being a scholar in. But you're basically right. Income taxes are outside the purview of um, the the EU uh, lawmaking process to a great extent. Um, and they're not questioning. Not only aren't they questioning the laws, they're not questioning the practice of giving rulings. Right. They just looked at this ruling and said, wow, this is pretty rich. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they have come up with this standard that um, what the U.S. says, you, you may know that the Treasury Department issued a white paper the week before the Apple case came out saying all of these investigations – are headed down the wrong track because they uh, seem to adopt a new standard. They seem to do so retroactively, and they call into question the ability of these countries to abide by their treaty obligations. All of these countries have tax treaties with the United States, pursuant to which they have responsibilities. They've undertaken obligations uh, to live by standards, and now we have the commission coming in with a new standard. So does this mean – the irony, I think, is the Treasury is fighting hard to uh, prevent a ruling that probably incentivizes Apple to bring some of that money back here, which they have this enormous uh, uh, lake of money that they can't bring back to the United States because of the taxes. Uh, um, and this reduces the penalty they'd pay by bringing it back, right? Well, uh, to try and simplify this – uh, if the money is kept outside the United States and not taxed anywhere, it's not subject to tax. If the money is brought back to the United States, it will be subject to tax. Uh, you know, people can debate whether uh, that's what the baseline should be. Should the baseline be a world in which you don't tax income earned outside the country of residence of the company? A lot of other countries do that. The U.S. has never had that as its baseline. But right. the reality is that the U.S. system is not hugely different from the systems of countries that do that. Um, the commission in its report expressly said, gee, if the Irish entities were to pay the European distributors more, then the amount that Ireland would have to collect would be less. Was it that, of course, and, and, and the rest of the EU would get more. Would get more. But they also said the same thing about the U.S., to answer your question, yeah. Stuart. So if the, uh, the problem is, uh, according to this opinion, I, Apple Ireland already pays $2 billion, has paid $2 billion back to the U.S. Uh, 
for the U.S. to perform an R&D function effectively yeah. for Apple Ireland. Uh, what the commission is saying is, well, if that number were higher, then the amount of income subject to tax in Ireland would be lower. Um, that's one way to bring the money back. Of course, it would presumably violate all sorts of international tax rules because they've set that royalty rate oh, with an we, eye to we, what's yeah. known as the arm's length standard. Yeah, the arm's sure. length standard is the, the rule that all the countries have gotten together and agreed to. And now here we have a new rule. So what, what in 30 seconds or a minute, do you tell your clients when they say, oh, what am I supposed to do now that uh, this is in the air and in front of the courts in, in the EU? Well, our clients, are mm-hmm. this, our step-toe clients, uh, they're watching very carefully uh, until a particular company is actually in the crosshairs. They um, are measured in their response to this, but there have been subsequent developments in Ireland since these structures were all put in place, that themselves are motivating the companies to reassess what they want to do. So actually there are a lot of levers that are putting different kinds of pressure on companies to look at their structures. Some are restructuring, have been, many have been restructuring uh, actually prior to these decisions coming out. So uh, there's a parallel proceeding that some people may have heard of, uh, you know, it's one of the few times corporate tax gets discussed in the G20. Um, but there's a um, base erosion and profit shifting or BEPS project ongoing at the OECD. And uh, that project has moved a lot of companies to think about how they're going to restructure as well. So in my experience, the uh, the OECD is just the EU dressed up, but uh, where they the EU countries all get together and beat on the U.S. Uh, uh, so I, I expect it to look a lot like the European view of the world. Well, actually, the OECD in the tax area, the U.S. has played a leadership role okay. in the OECD's tax function. And uh, if you read the Treasury White Paper, uh, the, one of the prime – bases they have for complaining is, look, we're all together in this BEPS project to try and reduce uh, the problem of corporate tax avoidance. But if we start walking to different drummers, marching to different drummers, we're, nothing is going to come of it. We're all going to go our separate ways. There's going to be high tax here, low tax here, no car, uh, no ability to uh, figure out how these inconsistencies need to be worked out. Uh, the OECD is a useful place to work out those and has been for many years. All right, Phil, thank you. I, uh, it, it is uh, remarkably uh, for the next 10 minutes, it'll be clearer in my head. So thank you for that. Uh, I, and um, uh, two issues that I want to uh, cover before we finish. Uh, there is yet another uh, FBI uh, playpen case where the FBI uh, um was essentially uh, uh, stealing the credentials and the identities of people who are logging into a uh, uh, child porn site that they actually ran for a couple of weeks uh, uh, and then arresting and searching uh, uh, the uh, the people who had done that. Uh, there's a pretty good case, U.S. versus Torres out of Texas, uh, uh, that says, you know, maybe the, uh, you know, clearly it was a search when you go into somebody's computer and 
put stuff there or take stuff off that's a, a, a search. Um, uh, but they had a warrant. They met probable cause. Uh, uh, and then there's Rule 41 that says the district judge needs to be issuing these orders for the district in which the uh, search is conducted. And uh, he said, uh, in that case, well, that's just not what happened here. And therefore, it's a violation of Rule 41B. Yeah, no, it was an interesting case in that, you know, he, the, the court takes notice of uh, the different decisions that have gone on with respect to this all over the country, um, and just kind of ticks off each of the points. It was a search, there's no authority under 41B1 through 3, the computer is clearly not in in the Eastern District of Virginia. It doesn't fall in 41B4. There's, you know, the tracking device is not in the the district. However, the judge concludes the opinion by saying, well, taking that that's all true. However, I'm not going to suppress. There's no bad faith. There's no constitutional violation here. So I'm not going to grant the... the And surely they were influenced by the fact that the Supreme Court has approved a rule change uh, that would make this lawful in the future as of December 1. Uh, and for those uh, privacy advocates who listen to this show, there must be one somewhere, uh, and are still hoping that that rule change won't take effect, uh, give it up. Uh, 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 Senator Wyden went to the Senate floor and asked for unanimous consent to block that rule, which the Senate could do. Uh, and uh, uh, John Cornyn stood up and said, nope, no consent here. Uh, and so Wyden is pursuing the idea that maybe there could be a hearing and that will get galvanize enormous uh, pressure in the middle of a presidential campaign when they've got maybe three weeks of uh, Congress left to, to do anything it ain't going to happen yeah I think that's right I think that that rule 41 is gonna is going to change as 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 proposed and, and I think we have more privacy advocates that listen than just one um, uh, again uh, uh, like they said in that well, stern you movie. <laughs> uh, no they listen just to hear what you'll say <laughs> <laughs> that's right I, I actually t- I tell people I say you know if you're a if you believe in civil liberties, uh, you can listen while you're in the gym. You won't even have to exercise. Your heart rate will definitely go to 120 <laughs> easy. Uh, all right. Uh, well, I, we, we, we had fun with the, uh, the FBI 302, but I will leave that for another day. Also, uh, the MedSec case, that'll be fun to talk about at some point. Uh, uh, thank you to Phil West. Thank you to Alan Cohn. Uh, uh, as always, the Cyber Law Podcast is open to feedback. Send us your questions, your suggestions for interview candidates and topics to cyberlawpodcast at stepto.com. We love getting good uh, reviews, and we're getting good reviews uh, on iTunes and other aggregators. This has been episode 129 of the Stepto Cyber Law Podcast, brought to you by Stepto and Johnson. Coming up, we're going to be joined by Ellen Nakashima of the Washington Post, by Matt Cutts, formerly of Google uh, and now of the U.S. Digital Services team, and uh, his uh, partner in crime, Lisa Wiswell, uh, at the Pentagon. Uh, and uh, um, at last, we're going to get Assistant Attorney General John Carlin to uh, join us at CSIS for an interview as well. Uh, we hope that you'll join us for those and other uh, interviews as we once again provide insights into the latest events in technology, security, privacy, and government.